Father, we just want to thank you for this time that we can be here together. I want to thank you that, that you are interested in meeting with us, that you have created a space for us, that you welcome us here. And Father, we just declare that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, um, please help me as I speak that my words are not my own, but what you want to say. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amu would like you to know that he's going to talk about sex next week. Great. Now that we got that out of the way, introducing this week, we're talking about relationships this month. Context. And Amu will be talking about intimacy next week. Um, But this week... I want to talk about relationships, and I'm not just talking about romantic relationships or your, the relationship with your mother and your father. I'm, I want to talk about your relationship with God and how that impacts every other relationship that you have. Because that, did you know that there's three persons in every single relationship that you have? There's your relationship with God. And then there's a relationship with the other person, like Vuzi. So when I go have a coffee with Vuzi and we meet, it is not Vuzi and I. It is Vuzi and I meeting with God. And we are having church. I understand that where two or more gather in the name of the Lord, there I am. Not me. <laughs> the Lord. I was quoting scripture for those of you who didn't know that. Fantastic. Just seeing if you guys are awake. Um, So when I got saved, um, which was in 2010, I I had a bit of a problem understanding that that God, I understood God's my father. I, I don't have a problem with my identity in Christ. I get that a little bit too well. And uh, what I had a problem with was understanding that God is my father, but God is also king. And for some people, they struggle with it the other way around. Some people understand that God is king, is ruler of their life, but they don't understand that God is their father. Or that God is love. Or that God wants to have an intimate relationship with you and every single person. So I I, I would describe myself as a very pragmatic person. Um, and for those of you who don't know what that means, that means that I, I like to judge the merits of something by its practical use. And everything must have a practical application. And um, that's, you know, there's, there's a biblical basis for it. You judge a tree by its fruits. That's sort of the pragmatic slogan in one sentence. You have faith. I'll show you my faith by what I do. It's pragmatism. Um, but it has its limits. And um, the problem is that some things are right in and of themselves. Some things are virtuous in and of themselves. I do not worship God for the practical applications that it has in my life. I worship God because he is king. Understand what I'm saying? Um, But this was a very difficult lesson for me to learn. Um, 
I do not worship God because, or I do not tithe because um, I can get great things out of it, even though there's a promise to it, sure. But I tithe because that is my conviction, that I should tithe. I do not honor my wife because she submits to me. I honor my wife because that is what I am commanded to do, and that is my conviction, regardless of whether she submits to me. My wife does not submit to me because I honor her. My wife submits to me because that is her conviction. That is what the Holy Spirit has laid on her heart to do, as mandated by Scripture. You understand what I'm saying? So, um, I got into church, and I have a... I love science. I love the way things work. I like, I like that everything ticks and that there's a reason for everything. And um, and it was used to be a, a very big stumbling block to Christianity. I studied geology. Was not very good at it. Good enough to have very good arguments. <laughs> but um, so you, know, you get into arguments with Christians and you throw stuff at them. And then I became a Christian. And then I started on the other side, well, everything must make sense. And, you know, and where I, I ran into problems is that sometimes the world doesn't make sense. You know, so I was involved with church for quite a long time. And then I had, I wouldn't say a crisis of faith, but let's just say that I started to question things. Some of the normal things, you know, like, if God is good, why is there evil? If, if um, you know, if He's all powerful, why then you know why why do people go to hell? Why is there such a thing? And these things didn't make sense. Why do good people suffer, and bad people seem to get by, fine in life? And um, see, there's there's a problem in my approach. Um, as a somebody that needs things to make sense, because my philosophy, my philosophy dictated to me that when things make sense, I will worship God. Right, and so God, God is a person of my choosing and of my creation, and if He ticks the boxes, then I'll worship You. And that's not the way things work, as I found out. God is Lord over all. He is, he is the maker of the heavens and the earth, whether I exist or not. I am not a factor in that equation. You are not a factor in that equation. And so, as I, before I took that journey to, um, to figure out or to embark on answering those questions, I had to first decide, well, Luke, who do you say I am? That's the question that every person has to answer for themselves. Jesus asked that question of Peter, who do you say I am? Some people say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah. Okay, but Peter, who do you say I am? Hermone, who do you say Jesus is? Amu, who do you say Jesus is? So it's not, there's, there's, it's a matter of putting the, the cart before the horse 
as they say. We've got to decide before we go any further who Jesus is. Because there are answers to those questions. Those questions I've wrestled with. But they are a lot easier to wrestle with if you know or if you have decided who God is to you. So I want to talk about that. How do you go about relating to God in a way that makes it easier to make sense of life? That's what I want to talk to. How do you relate to God? Because there's many ways that you can relate to Him. So we're going to try out a, a thought experiment, but before we get there, let's open up our Bibles to John 14. Um, if you do not have a Bible, there's a Bible here. Reuben, can you help me out, please? Great. Put up your hand if you don't have a Bible. Fantastic. So the deal is, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can keep it. If you do have a Bible at home, please return it so we can give it to somebody else. Great. Roman, ach, John 14, sorry, from verse 1. Okay. Let not your hearts be troubled. Yeah, that's a good word. Before we start on life's deep questions. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why should we do that? Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas is the one who doubted who Jesus was. When, he, when Jesus first appeared, Thomas is the guy that said, I want to... You've got to prove it. And, and Jesus let him stick his finger in the, in the holes in his hands and in the side. That's Thomas. Hey, Thomas. You know, you know Thomas. Yeah, Thomas. Uh, okay, Thomas can confirm it was Jesus. Great. I, so Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, was Philip. Yes, I love it, hey, Uncle Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his own works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this part. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. So what, what is the prerequisite for doing the cool stuff that Jesus did? Okay, whoever believes in me, because I am going to the Father... Whatever you may ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
Okay, so everybody close your eyes. Make your eyes closed. Great. So Jesus says he goes to prepare a place for you. So let's let's imagine that Jesus is preparing a house for you. Okay? And I want you to picture this house. What does this house look like? Okay? And I want you to picture what are what are the kind of rooms in this house? Okay, you going through the front door. Everybody can close their eyes. Great. You go through the front door. What is there? Is there a lounge? Is there a kitchen? Is it a double story house? Or oh no, this is heaven. It's a three story house. Four if you count the underground garage. Okay, what what does this house look like? Okay, so now imagine now imagine you're you're in this house and Jesus walks in the front door and he's gonna give you a tour of the house. Okay? And he starts explaining to you In this room, here is the lounge. This is where we're going to do fill in the blank. Here is the dining room. Here we will fill in the blank. You get where I'm going with this? What is this place that God has prepared for you? Okay, open up your eyes. I want to explore this house tonight. but We're going to focus on three specific bedrooms, okay? Three specific rooms, not bedrooms. Sitting room, kitchen, and a bedroom. And we're going to, and each room we're going to ask ourselves two questions, okay? How do we relate to God in this room? And how do we relate to others in this bedroom? Remember, there's always three people in any given room, okay? There's you yourself, that's one person, just, just make that clear, you yourself. There is the other person that you have a, a relationship with, not in a relationship, can be anybody, can be your children, can be your spouse, can be your boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, close friend, not close friend, stranger, person. Okay, you guys, are you guys with me? Okay, you guys, we're going to explore this house together. Are you keen for this? Okay, so the first room is a sitting room. I don't know if any of you know what a Dwemini sitcomer is. That's that room that's always pristine, very well vacuumed. No, None of the kids are allowed in there. We don't even know what the purpose of it is for, but when the Dwemini comes to visit... When the pastor comes to make sure you're paying your tithes, then you show him to this room. It's a joke. Show him to this room. He sits down. Everybody has their place. Kids have to keep quiet. The mother comes out with a tray, tea, coffee. There's order. There's reverence. There's a place of authority. This is where the family meets. 
This is where the father expresses the fact that he is the head of the household. And this is, this is about as good as a, a picture of a throne room as we can understand. And there's a few things about a throne room that we have to understand. Is that in this, in the throne room of God, he is sovereign. What do I mean by that? Who knows what that word means? Well, if we're quiet, we've got a problem. God's reign is supreme. This is the first room in the house. And before we go any further, we have to understand that God is King of kings and Lord of lords. And when we go into the throne room and we can go there with boldness, we are welcome in there. But we understand that he sits on his throne, that he is king of our lives, that it is not our place to question what he does and what he, and what he is doing. If you can go read Romans 9 for a mind bender. God is sovereign. First thing that I needed to learn on my journey from being delivered of pragmatism was that God is first king of my life and that I owe him everything, that Jesus laid down his life and bought me at a price. I do not belong to myself. And everything that I am and everything that I do is an attempt to lay down for the sake of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is it. I live, hopefully, that the only thing that I do here is what I see my Father doing in heaven. And when we come to church, this is what we're doing. We're meeting in the house of God. And we're meeting, we're meeting to worship God because He is King and He is Lord and He is worthy of all our praise. Are you with me? When we come to church, it's a good place to meet friends, absolutely. But we are here first and foremost that God may be glorified, that the Son of God will be glorified, for He is worthy of all praise, all honor, and all glory. This is the first thing. Before we start this journey, we've got to get this in our heads. Before we start looking at life's big problems, we've got to start here. Before we embark on any good work, we start with the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, paid the ultimate price. And because he made himself low, he is exalted above all others. Amen? But it's not... I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into a. Uh, it is solemn, absolutely. But there, but there's good news. You have been invited into this space, to share in, with God's glory, to share in with this inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? That, as, Jesus is lifted up. He is our older brother and wishes you to share in in that inheritance, to rule and reign with him. Isn't that cool? 
We don't go into the throne room as, as slaves, but we seek God's presence knowing that we are his children. That, yes, there is order. Yes, God demands obedience, but he doesn't demand it from us because we are his slaves. He demands it from us because we are his children. Isn't that amazing? And we sit here as sons and daughters of the Most High. We go into the throne room. We seek the presence of God as royalty. Is that not beautiful? Ooh, get goosebumps. Go read the whole of Psalms. I like that. I had a good chuckle writing that down. So we've got to understand that when we come to church, when we go into the presence of God, there's also work to do. So how do we relate to the people around us? This is where we bring people in. We invite people to church, and we're inviting them to come share in this inheritance. So we don't, we don't invite them from the mindset of, you're going to hell. If you don't turn to Jesus, yes, you will go to hell. But we, we speak from the mindset of, come to church, meet with Jesus, and you will receive eternal life. You will be declared as a son or daughter of Christ. You will share in that inheritance. Amen? Okay, we're getting this. Let's move on. Next, bedroom. Next, oh, I keep saying bedroom. Next room, kitchen. Here things are more relaxed. Woo! Food. There's a table. This is the most, this is the most craziest thing. There's, there's, there's amazing themes within the Bible, and God speaks through themes. He loves the idea that one of the most amazing things about the Bibles, Bibles, the Bible, I've been hanging out with too many Afrikaans people, like my jean pant. Um, one of the most amazing things about the Bible is how things that are, or themes that are started in the Old Testament are carried through into the New Testament. And um, there are things like um, the idea of Jesus as the Savior or the Lamb of God, which was first we first saw when Abraham went to go, um, God told Abraham to go sacrifice his son. And just as he's about to stab, Jesus interrupts and there's a lamb in the bush. And that becomes a replacement for his son Isaac. And that theme is carried across. And then what do we refer to as Jesus, the lamb of God? So we, when we call him the lamb of God, we're referring back to that story where Abraham acted out this, pro this prophecy of Jesus. It was literally an enactment. That was what Abraham was doing. He was, I don't know if he knew it at the time, but he was acting out a prophecy. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy. He would be the lamb that would be slain. So another one of these themes is the table. And this is really cool because it starts in the Old Testament and there's many places where a table is mentioned. One of my favorites is Psalm 23. Let's go to Psalm 23. Open up your Bibles to Psalm 23. This is a, 
Um, this is one of those famous psalms. It's a favorite of mine. I often go back to it. You can read this so many times, and every time you read it, you'll get something new out of it. It's one of the most amazing things about the Word of God is that every time you read Scripture, it's like a different aspect of it opens up. Let's read the whole thing together. And you really see a a different side of God here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Isn't that cool? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sure. I love it. There's a house. And when you go to this house, God's giving you this tour. Surprise! Prepared a meal for you. Come and sit down. And this is something that this is something that I naturally tend to get. I don't have a problem understanding that I'm righteous, that I'm a son, or um, I'm I'm very irreligious. Um, Sometimes a little bit too much. I I operate in gray areas, gets me into trouble sometimes. Um, So as I say this, I'm saying it as from someone who understands that I'm a son in the house. And there's a lot of us... um, we, we run around the table, and there's an invitation for us to come sit down, but we're too busy. We've got stuff to do. And you understand that God is sovereign and supreme, but sometimes you need to come out of the Dwemini Sitkomar and come sit at the table and have some food. And what I've also noticed is these are usually the people who, they, they, they know what's cracking in the world. The prophets struggle with this one. We, we, we heard from the Lord. And we know what is right. And you don't. And, and, and you've just got to understand that this is what it says in the Bible. And you need to listen to us. And you're just like, calm down. Come have a seat. Come eat with us. Come build relationship with us. And there's an invitation for you that the picture of righteousness is at a table. And we're going to do communion at the end of the service. But um, Jesus does communion at a dinner table. And he takes things from the dinner table. This is one of those themes we're talking about. Started in the New Old Testament. Jesus completes this picture. He's sitting down with his disciples. We're all here. And um, and he takes a glass of wine. And he takes some bread. And he literally offers himself to the people, to his disciples, at a table. So 
The throne room is where we go to give praise to God. Only at the table where we can sit down do we receive from God. We receive from Christ at a table. And the table is within communion of other people. Why do we go to church? Why must we not neglect the gathering of the saints? Because this is where, we, this is where it takes place. It's, it's, I, love, I love to invite people over for supper or for food. I like to have people in my house. Because that is where real church happens. This, this, is, this is church, but this is play-play church. We are practicing church for tomorrow morning. You understand what I'm saying? So when you wake up tomorrow morning, you go to work or to school or you're in class, that's where church is at. Okay? But there's something you've got to understand, that you are the righteousness of God. Which means that you've got to learn to sit down and receive. You've got to learn to receive the fact that, hey, you're a pretty cool person, Daniel. Hey, there's not only you that wants to share at the table, but there's somebody else that wants to share at the table. This is where we learn to interact with the body. This is where the concept of the fivefold ministry comes in, and that's a whole other sermon. So I'm not going to go in that, but go and read 1 Corinthians 12. But this is where we need to contend with each other. So how do we interact with God? Well, we understand that He's prepared for us. That at this table, this is where we call him Father. This is where he addresses us as his sons. We have the right to cry out, Abba Father. Go read Romans 18, 8 verse 15. But God has given us the right. Our spirits cry out, Abba Father. How do we relate to others? Well, this is the place where we invite other people. See, a lot of people, when we do evangelism, we go, you've got to sort out your sins. You've got to sort out your life. You've got to stop smoking. You've got to do this and this and this. But that's not the way that God meets you. See, God meets you with the table. This is, this is often the, the first point of call for a non-believer is with the table. It's you come into the presence of God and here's a table. There's a banqueting table. Eat, receive, fill. Yes, you're going to have to learn about work. Yes, you're going to have to learn that God is not only your father but your king. But he's first and foremost a father who sent his son. Amen. Awesome. It's also where we're going to have to learn to play nice with our siblings. I think that's a word for some people. Great. How much time have I got left? Four minutes. Yes, I talk too much. Okay. I'm going to quickly go over the last one because I'm was going to do the, the, the main content next week. But um, I'm going to briefly go through how we relate to God in the bedroom. Because God is a God of love. Amen. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And there's something of quietness. Let's open up our, our Bibles. 
to 1 Kings 19. I'm going to end off with this. But before, uh, before I say that, we've got to understand that we need to learn to be quiet. We need to learn to meditate on the Word of God. And, I'm, and when I talk about meditation, I'm not talking about you know, the Eastern religions kind of meditation where you empty yourself of everything. When we, when we talk about a biblical concept of meditation... And it's not, you can go read in the Psalms, there's a lot about meditation there, it's not a, fun, a funky word. Meditation is about the act of filling yourself with the Word of God. So, I encourage you in your quiet time, take some scripture, because um, a lot of us, we like to read scripture, and you know, you read, okay, Matthew chapter 1, check, next day, Matthew chapter 2, check, and we've got this list, and it's like we've got our goals. I encourage you to just slow down a bit. Take a scripture. Take a week to read it. Read the same passage for a week, every day for a week, and meditate it. Re- repeat it to yourself. Dwell on it. Think about it. Let it consume you. This is what we talk about in meditation. But you're asking yourself one question when you read scripture, and that is, God, what can I learn about you? I want to know you. Because here's the, here's, the, here's the problem. You're a Christian. You do a lot of amazing things. Um, you cast out demons. You prophesy. You heal the sick. None of that counts for anything. But to know God. And only in this, in this still quiet place do we get to know him. 1 Kings 19. I'm going to end off with this. Verse 11. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. A great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the, f- the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the hosts of the host, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I even... Uh, am left, and I seek my life to take it. Let's stand together. <clears throat>